Our life is not our own. Our life is not ours to live for our own sake. We live for Christ. And we live for the good of his people and for the salvation of the world. You're listening to the Holy Joys Sermon Podcast. Visit us at holyjoys.org to find more resources for a holy, happy church. Continuing in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26, and uh, you'll understand why I think that song was fitting for the sermon this morning. As we look at Paul in prison, continuing to look at uh, his experience in probably a Roman jail, chained to his uh, prison guard, and uncertain about what exactly the future would hold. I don't know about you, but I do not like uncertainty. Life is filled with uncertainties. Uncertain if you'll be accepted to your school of choice. Uncertain if someone who you like will like you back. Uncertain if you'll be hired for a job or passed over. Uncertain if you'll be able to pay uh, the gas bill, especially right now. (laughs) Uncertain what your medical tests results will be. And there's a lot of uncertainties. In fact, life itself is really very uncertain. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I don't, I know we don't think about that that much. And probably if we thought about all the uncertainties, we'd be overwhelmed by them. But uncertainty is difficult because we don't like to feel like we are out of control. We don't like for our future to hang in the balance. And even if there's bad news, you know, something bad's going to happen, we just want to know, right? I mean, just tell me, just tell me what it is. I'd rather know and it be bad news than not know. It's the waiting that's the worst. It's the uncertainty. And here Paul is at a crossroads in his life and ministry, uncertain whether he'll be set free or sentenced to death. Set free or sentenced to death, and executed at the hands of the Romans. Let's stand together this morning for the reading of God's word in Philippians 1, verses 19 to 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Paul had confidence that he would be delivered for the sake of the Philippians, but he also acknowledged the reality that he could be executed at the hands of the Romans, and that in life or in death, the important thing is that you would be honored. Lord, as we come into this service with many uncertainties, 
uh, maybe though none as severe or life-threatening as Paul, I pray, God, that you would help us to be so radically devoted to Jesus that the uncertainties of life would just be swallowed up in the certainty that if we are walking faithfully with you, Christ will be honored. And I pray, God, that you would help us to grasp and get hold of this powerful reality that for the Christian, life is Christ and death is gain. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We started at Acts 16, the backstory of the church at Philippi with God's providence leading the apostles. And last night, if you picked up on it as God's Bible school was singing one of their songs, they talked about Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail singing the hymns and how God worked through them powerfully and providentially to, to plan a church in Europe to think today of the millions of Christians that are there and how this was a testimony to the unstoppable power of the gospel. We looked at Paul's opening in Philippians 1, 1 and 2, where he and Timothy are writing as servants, slaves of Christ Jesus, and that this is key because Paul's going to go on in the next chapter to say that Jesus took on the form of a servant. And so Christ's servants are living out, reenacting his story. Because Jesus suffered, we are going to suffer in this life. Because Jesus died, we are going to face death someday, but we're going to face it in the grace of the resurrection. And Paul says that even our living is dying because we take up our cross daily that the power of the cross and the resurrection might be manifested in us. We looked at in verses 3 to 10 how Paul is in prison writing this letter, but he's thankful and he's joyful because of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel the joy of Christian fellowship. We need one another and we bring joy and, and strength to one another in our difficult circumstances. And then last time in verses 11 to 18, that though Paul is in prison, he's confident of the unstoppable advance of the gospel. Even his prison sentence has served to advance the gospel. And so we've been talking a lot about God's providence and power at work through his servants and through the Christian community. And now we come to this passage where Paul's continuing to talk about his imprisonment, but he's reminding the Philippians that for the Christian, whether in life or in death, Christ is going to be glorified and honored. Paul demonstrates an incredible calmness and confidence in the midst of great uncertainty. Our world today is a bit uncertain. I wouldn't define the nightly news as calm and confident. And sometimes as Christians, we can lose sight of that and we can lose our peace and our rest in Jesus and just become so anxious and distressed about the uncertainties of the world. But here is Paul facing religious persecution, and he's calm and confident. Because if death comes, on the one hand, it's a welcome friend. Christ will be honored by Paul's martyrdom, and Paul's greatest desire will be fulfilled, that he can depart and be with Jesus. But if Paul lives, on the other hand, Christ will be honored by his ministry. And one of Paul's other great desires will be fulfilled. He'll be able to help the Philippians make progress in the faith. Sometimes I, uh, I'll turn to Lexi. I do this from time to time. I'm thinking about heaven. I'm excited about seeing Jesus, or maybe I'm just discouraged about life and ministry in this world. Whether it's out of discouragement or out of joy for the future of heaven, I'll say something like, man, I'm just so ready to go be with Jesus in heaven. And she'll say, Adam and I need you. You need to stick around. And I'll say, I know, I know, I'm not going anywhere. This is kind of what Paul's saying, isn't he? 
his desire is just to go be with the Lord. He's just so excited about the hope of seeing his Savior. We call that the beatific vision, the vision of the beauty of God, seeing our Savior. We will see Jesus first of all. That's the greatest hope that we have as Christians. But Paul knows, on the other hand, that there are his spiritual children, his spiritual bride, the bride of Christ, right? The spiritual bride that he needs to care for, and they need him. He wants to be able to continue his ministry to them. And so Paul thinks that he will be delivered, set free from his imprisonment. But whether death comes or life continues, he knows Christ will be honored. And that is the most important thing. If you or I were to face martyrdom, I don't know how we would feel. I don't think until you get to a situation like that and face those kinds of circumstances that we can really understand. I do believe God gives grace in those times to those who have to face unimaginable suffering. There's stories of early Christian martyrs being burned and they were singing hymns while the, while the, the flames were melting their flesh. And I can't do that in my own strength. But I know that whatever comes, God will give grace. But I do think I understand a little, a little bit of what Paul was feeling in his desire to go and be with the Lord, but also his desire to stay and minister to the Philippians. So just two simple points this morning. First of all, for the radically devoted servant of Christ, life is about serving Jesus. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. This is a good little exercise for you as you read the Bible. When you come across a statement like this, try putting it in your lips. Try saying to God, to me, to live is Christ. And ask yourself if it feels natural and comfortable on your lips. Or if you feel a bit dishonest saying it. Because you know that Jesus might be a part of your life, but he's not your whole life. That life itself is more about building your business or building your relationships or building your reputation or building your retirement fund. Not that any of those things are bad, but they're not life. And last night, God's Bible school saying, I want my life to count for Jesus. Right? I'm only living for eternal gain. Earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. But for Paul, his life was so absorbed in Jesus, so preoccupied with the things of God, so spiritually minded that that life was Christ. Are we so radically devoted to Jesus that we can say, to me, to live is Christ? The Christian is so fully united to Jesus. Their life is so hidden in God through Christ that life itself is Christ. Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Listen carefully to that verse. Powerful. Jesus died for all. He died for you. He died for the little children that were up here this morning. He died for the youngest and the oldest. Every ethnicity, gender, social status, 
everyone without exception. And why did he do that? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Our life is not our own. Our life is not ours to live for our own sake and for our own benefit. We live for Christ and we live for the good of his people and for the salvation of the world. We've been given one life. I don't know how many days, how many years. The Bible says three score and 10, 70 years, or if by your strength you live longer, not very long in the grand scheme of things. You realize, wow, what have I done? What have I done for Jesus? But you know what? I'd encourage you, whatever stage of life you're at, don't look back, but look forward. Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind, looking and grasping towards the things that are ahead. The devil wants you to be focused on the the life that you've already wasted. But no matter where you're at in life, whether you're young or old, you can finish well. And the important thing is that you don't live for yourself today or tomorrow or the next day. And so whether you have five years or 50 years ahead of you, I encourage you this morning, don't, don't let up, don't give up. Don't live for yourself. God has something for you. And I want us to be a church that is so radically devoted to Jesus that every single one of us can say, for me, for us to live is Christ. It's about him. It's not about us. It's not about our kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. And Paul said, if I live, it's profitable for you, for the Philippians. He said, it means fruitful service for me. The keeper of the vineyard is coming soon. The owner of the house is coming soon. And Jesus said, don't be like the unprofitable, unfruitful servant who had nothing to show for his labors. God wants us to be so devoted to Christ that we bring forth fruit for the kingdom. And whether you feel like your life has been unfruitful up until this point or not, the good news is that there's yet time. And while time remains, we can be fruitful for the kingdom of Jesus because for us to live is to serve. Ephesians 4 says that the body of Jesus Christ is built up when every member is working properly. And you might think Paul's an apostle. Of course, you know, yeah, Paul, the great apostle Paul, You know, his service, his labors are going to be profitable for the Philippians, for the church. You know, the pastor, he can really do something in ministry and in service. He can really make a difference, but he's a pastor. But Ephesians 4 says pastors are given to equip the saints for the building up of the body of Jesus. I want to encourage you that God has gifted you, you. Right now, I know if you're like me, you hear that and you think of your neighbor (laughs) who needs to be encouraged. No, 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 you. God has gifted you. And if you use your gifts to build up the body of Christ, if you are working properly as a member of the body of Jesus, the body's going to be built up. And I encourage you this morning, believe that God has a purpose for you, that to live is to serve, that we might have fruitful labor in this church, in this community, and in this world. For the radically devoted servant of Christ, life is about serving Jesus. Take my life, Lord. Let it be consecrated. Whatever I have, I'm giving it back to you. 
Secondly, for the radically devoted servant of Christ, death is about seeing Jesus. For the radically devoted servant of Christ, death is about seeing Jesus. If our life is hidden in Christ, then we are united with one who has went ahead of us into death and conquered it and put it under his feet in the resurrection. I've been using this illustration quite a bit lately, uh, probably because I have a little guy who doesn't like the dark, and I don't really like the dark that much either, especially if it's pitch black, you know, at nighttime and you hear all the spooky sounds. But you know, he won't go into a dark room, but if daddy goes ahead of him and flips on the light, he'll go rushing in, no fear. And Jesus has went ahead of us into the dark place called death. He's filled it with the light of life. And we don't need to be afraid to go where he has gone. Because in his resurrection, death was transformed. It's no longer something to be feared, but it is the doorway to life eternal with God. And Paul said for the Christian, to die is gain. With the common Savior of all dying for us, we, the faithful in Christ, no longer die by death. As before, according to the threat of the law, for such condemnation has ceased. We no longer die by death, but for the Christian to die is to live. To be fully alive is to die because death is the doorway to life eternal with God. Death is not something to fear, but it is gain for the Christian. Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 4.11, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, if Paul was executed by the Romans, he says, I wouldn't be ashamed. I wouldn't need to be ashamed of my martyrdom because if I die for Christ, I am a living testimony of a Savior who died for the world. I am fulfilling in my death the story of Jesus. I'm following him into death that I might live again. And in Romans 6, it says that we are confident that if we die with Christ, we shall also live with him. As certain as Jesus rose on the third day, those who die in Christ will rise again. Our resurrection is secured. Our eternal life is secured by Christ. Athanasius says, that in the fourth century, one of the greatest proofs or evidences of the Christian faith is that Christians aren't afraid of death. He says that death has been dissolved, that the cross has become victory over it, that it is no longer strong, but is itself truly dead. He says it's no small evidence that death is despised by all of Christ's disciples. And everyone tramples on death and no longer fears death, but with the sign of the cross and faith in Christ, tread it underfoot as something dead. He gives two illustrations that I love so much. One of the illustrations is of a a tyrant who's ruling over a city with fear and force and all the people are afraid of him and they all avoid him. But a, a true king who really has the right to the territory, he comes in and he binds him hands and feet. This is, of course, Jesus coming to bind the strong man. And he says, that tyrant is put out in the middle of the street, bound hand and foot, 
And now when people walk by him, they scoff at him. They mock him. They bonk him on the back of the head. No fear. He's got no power over us anymore. He says, that's what death is like. Death is like a tyrant. Romans 5 said, death reign, but Christ has conquered death so that now to die is gain. To die is to be with the Lord in eternal life. He gives another illustration of a lion. I love lions. They're my favorite animal. I went mountain lion hunting and I didn't get any. It lost us in the rocks. But I'll tell you what, I only love lions when I have that 30 out six in my in my arms. Otherwise, I'm happy to see him behind some bars, right? In the, some, I don't want to see him in the wild. And Athanasius says that everybody's afraid of them. And if a lion wanders into a city, everybody will lock their doors. Stay away from it. But he says, if that lion dies and falls dead in the street, even little children will go and play with its carcass. You know, you can imagine a little boy, I can imagine little Adam getting behind, you know, crawling up on that lion on its neck, you know, sitting on it, like riding it, mounting it, taking the arms and moving them around and pretending he's talking like, you know, like the lion. It's like a stuffed animal now. No fear, it's dead. And he says, that's how death is. Death is something that, that in the world, people still fear. They don't like to talk about death. They're afraid of death. They certainly wouldn't say death is gain, right? It's all about this world. There's a famous movie producer. I saw this on the news the other day, and I can't even remember who it is. But he said, at this late stage in life, he's taking on as many movie projects as he possibly can because he said he cannot handle the fact that death is approaching sooner and faster than it ever has. And so the only way he can handle the fact that he's going to die soon is by immersing himself in his work. The world is afraid of death. It's a fierce lion. And the best thing to do is just avoid it instead of facing it. But Athanasius says, for the Christian, we know that death has died, that Christ has conquered death. And so it's like that lion that now we can trample on death. Now, that's not to say that death doesn't still bring a lot of hurt and separation. That's not what I'm saying. Paul says we mourn. There's a time to mourn. Death is still an extremely, extremely painful experience in this world, in this life. I hope you understand that's, that that's not what I'm, I'm not, not what I'm saying. But I am saying that for the Christian, death is not the end, but it's the doorway to life eternal. And so our perspective on death is just so radically different than the world's because that great enemy has been conquered. And soon the day is coming. And this is the hope of 1 Corinthians 15. Death will truly be defeated and they will die no more. We will rise in the resurrection, both the dead and the living, never again to face death. Do you remember when Lazarus died? Remember Jesus weeps because death is a painful experience in this world. But that's not all that he does because he goes on to tell her that because I am the resurrection and the life that Lazarus is going to live again. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's one thing to say or to read in scripture, to die is gain. It's another thing to believe it. And so once again, I ask you, do those words feel familiar on your lips? Can you say with confidence this morning that because I know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and that he has went ahead of me into death and conquered it by the grace of the resurrection, that for me, 
To die is gain. To die is gain. When Paul says in verse 19, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out to my deliverance. It's often believed that Paul is speaking here of being freed or delivered from prison. And I think that that is part of it, but I don't think that it is all of it. Because the word deliverance could also be translated salvation. And in fact, in the King James Version, it is. It's our standard Greek word for salvation of any kind, whether it's earthly physical deliverance or spiritual eternal deliverance or deliverance from the corruption of our bodies. Any kind of deliverance, the deliverance of the children in the Exodus from Egypt, from slavery. And so while Paul is, is I think, you know, indicating that he very likely could be delivered from prison, even if he died, that was a kind of deliverance and salvation as well. For the Christian, to die is to be freed from the corruption of this world, to live with God. And so while we talk about being saved in the past tense, the Bible also says we are being saved and that we will be saved in the future. We call that future salvation. And when Paul says that this will work out for my deliverance, in the same sentence, he ends by saying, whether by life or by death. And the confidence that we have as Christians is that no matter what circumstances we face, all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Everything that we face as Christians, whether suffering or persecution or death, no matter how deep and heartbreaking the pain, the agony, and the anxiety that this life may bring, we know that if we trust in Jesus and Jesus is our Savior, it will work out towards our final salvation and towards our Christ-likeness. Because in Romans 8, he's speaking of God's will for us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Whether in life or in death, we belong to Jesus. Romans 14, 8, Paul writes, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. What is your only hope in life or in death? that you, that I, belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. For the radically devoted servant of Christ, life is about serving Jesus, and death is about seeing him. And whether we live or whether we die, we can have confidence that the uncertainties of this life are swallowed up by the fact that Christ will be honored and we will not be ashamed. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joy Sermon Podcast. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.